Well, good morning. So I wonder, how do you make important decisions in your life? When something comes up that really is an important decision, how do you go about making that decision? Perhaps you seek the counsel of others. Perhaps you just decide on a whim. I'm not really sure. Well, I was watching a movie recently because I wanted to introduce my kids to a genre of movie slash TV show. And it really is a genre. Uh, you'll understand what I mean in a moment. And so I decided to introduce them to this particular movie. This was an easier way into this genre. And of course, the genre is Star Trek, right? Because <laughs> it's a whole genre, really, right? Uh, any, any Trekkies out there? We got a few, yeah, we got some out there. In fact, I know one of them just left. Chris Hamlin is a massive Trekkie. He borrowed a devotional book I have that is somewhat based on Star Trek. It's true, I have it. You can borrow it too if you want. I wouldn't call myself a Trekkie, but I do appreciate Star Trek. And so I decided that in order to help my kids understand Star Trek a little better, rather than diving right into Series 1 with the original Captain Kirk and so on, that's, that's a little strong, maybe even Next Gen with Picard and so on, we would start with one of the reboot movies. It was kind of my approach was that if you want your kids to like baseball, take them to a home run derby before you take them to a full-length game, right? Because they're going to love a home run derby. Same deal with Star Trek. So we watched the reboot movies. And yeah, I think it was in the second one of these that we were watching during vacation time. Um, there was this great quote. And it was this classic situation between Kirk on the one hand. And Kirk is the kind of rough and ready. He's the character who's just going to jump into a situation, feet first, not necessarily think it through fully. He's just going to go for it, okay, uh, if you don't watch Star Trek. And then the other person who you probably, even if you don't watch Star Trek, you know of is Mr. Spock. And Mr. Spock is the very rational being, okay? Uh, think of um, someone, if you watch later series like Data, but if you can't even think of that, think of someone like a robot. He's more almost robotic. He's half human, half Vulcan, so he's got this kind of Vulcan's a little bit more, um, very logical. It's all about logic. And so when he makes a decision, he comes at it very rationally. And in the case of this situation, he's pleading with Kirk to use all the reason, all the logic, every rational thing is saying that Kirk shouldn't do this thing he's about to do, which happens probably at least once, maybe twice in every show on Star Trek, right? And so then Spock, uh, sorry, Kirk comes back with this response. You're right. What I'm about to do, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical, but it is a gut feeling. It's a gut feeling. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I only know what I can do. Kirk is someone who is often led by his gut because he doesn't know what else to do. He just has a feeling. Whereas Spock is someone who is led more by logic and his mind. Now, I know there are some marriages out there where there's probably partners on either, uh, either side of the divide. I, I already see some of you looking at each other, right? We've got the Spocks and we've got the Kirk. Some of you just, just go with our gut. And the other's like, no, no, all logic says we should do this. You know, for me personally in my life, it's been a case of sometimes one way, sometimes the other. And particularly as I became more strong in my faith in college, I started to lean more on my gut perhaps necessary than my mind perhaps. And I don't mean by that I didn't use my mind. It's just I realized that the spirit would lead me in certain situations. And I'm going to share one with you. This makes me vulnerable, I feel, this one story. I don't know if I've ever shared this before. But, you know, when you're a teenager, you're fairly consumed with one thing, right? Which is what? Well, yourself, yes, thank you. <laughs> Said by a teenager. Uh, dating, right? Obviously, dating. Who? Yeah, yeah, you get it, right, Lucy? Uh, so you're thinking about the opposite. When I was dating a girl at the time, this is back when I was about 19 years old, probably 20 maybe, and I just had this sense in me that the Lord was telling me the relationship needed to end. 
And it wasn't a bad relationship anyway. It was, it was a good relationship. She was a believer. I was a believer. I just had this sense that the Lord was saying this. And I wasn't sure what to do. And I went up to visit her. She was at a different college from me. I was at a place called Warwick. She was at a place called Leeds in England. Went up to visit her for the weekend just to see her and so on. And while I was sat there with her, I had this profound sense from the Lord again that I was supposed to end this relationship. Again, nothing bad, but I just something different in my life he had planned for me. And so I, I prayed this prayer. Maybe you know the story of Gideon and the fleece and so on, and how the Lord, Gideon says, well, give me this sign if it's wet in the morning or if it's dry in the morning, I will obey you. And I prayed this prayer right then. We were listening to some music, and it was a Christian uh, CD that she had, I think. And I said, Lord, if the next song speaks to what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. So I'm, I'm like listening, I'm listening. Next song comes on, and the lyrics are, it is better to obey the Lord. Right? I'm like, well, that's pretty strong <laughs> when it comes to the sermon. And so I turned to her and I told her, you know what? I think we need to have a conversation. And the rest is history, right? There are different ways that we can discern how the Lord is leading us. And today I want to talk about that. And it comes down, what we're going to be talking about is discernment and evangelism. And the two go hand in hand as we see in our story today. And I think what we see is that there is a way that God has mapped out for us that we can seek his guidance. Many people might say, I don't know how to follow the Lord's guidance, but I think he wants to help us. Number one, he wants to guide us. Okay, he wants to. We can be guided by God. I believe that. Number two, he wants us to be guided by his word as well. Okay, he's given us his word. He wants us to be guided by that as well. But then he also wants us to be guided by our God-given faculties. And each one of us may lean on one of these things more than the other, but he wants us to use all three of these in making our decisions in our lives. So I want us to turn to our scripture for today. If you have the scripture sheet, would you pull that out? Or you can follow it on the screen. Caleb will pull that up for us. Or maybe you have your Bible with you. You're welcome to use that or a Bible app on your phone. And it's Acts chapter 16. We're in our series um, called Outward Bound. We've been doing this all summer. We're actually going to come into land over the next few weeks. We're almost through it. And this series is about the book of Acts, which is called the Acts of the Apostles. But what we've seen is that this is really a series that should be called the Acts of what? The... Remember? Holy Spirit, right? Because it's really the Holy Spirit who is acting. He's just choosing to use the apostles as his vessel for acting. And the context of our story is that the story begins way back in Acts 1 where Jesus commissions the disciples to go out. Okay, we hear this in Matthew, to go out and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching those people to believe, or to, com- to follow all that he's commanded them. And then he tells them to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and then to where? Ends of the earth, right? The ends of the earth. And as we've gone through this story, we've seen this happening. They begin in Jerusalem, right? Pentecost. Then they start to spread out through Judea. Then with some persecution, they're led further beyond to Samaria, Antioch, and so on. And Paul has just been on a missionary journey all the way to Asia Minor. And now he's come back. He's come back to Jerusalem. Um, We had Laura preaching last week about the time that they have the council together, right? In Jerusalem. But now he's heading off on what is called his second missionary journey. And the, the thing that is particularly unique about this journey of above all things as John Stott puts it is that this is a journey where they first go into Europe 
They're crossing over the straits into Greece. And finally, they've made it all the way to Europe. So they truly are starting to go to the ends of the earth. And as we'll see, they'll end up going to Rome and even possibly Spain. We'll see that in the next few weeks. Well, our story begins in verses 6 through 10. And what we see is that Paul and those who are with him, that they go out. And look at this, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In this first section, we see how Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit, Paul and his companions. And there's an interesting switch in this section as well. Notice I think it goes from they to we, which I think means that they pick up Luke here as well. And Luke starts to travel with them. The person writing Acts is now actually with them. And they are guided by the Spirit. And notice there's various ways on there. Well, they come to this, but the Spirit of Jesus doesn't allow them. They are forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then we also get this vision. Now, I don't know quite how they're forbidden, for instance. I get the sense that perhaps they're in prayer, and there's just this gut feeling that they should not go any further that direction. Okay, because they're just very much in prayer, constantly in prayer. They are very in tune with what the Lord is trying to say to them. And then also we see this with the spirit of Jesus doesn't allow them. Right. And then we get something a little different. They have a vision. Paul has a vision right in a dream. And that's another way that God guides us. Maybe you've had a vision in the past. I know of people who have where the Lord has spoken to you in a dream or in a vision and told you what you are to do next. Don't dismiss that as the way that the Lord might guide you if he chooses to. He is the one who gives us all that we are, even our dreams. And so he is one who can use those as well. The point is, though, I think, is that their mission is just encompassed with prayer. It's surrounded by prayer. And so they're very much in tune with how God might guide them by his spirit. And the question I have to ask of myself, and maybe you can ask of yourself, is how much time am I spending listening to God? Do I do more than just perhaps say the Lord's prayer each day or perhaps do I just lift up that random prayer that says, Lord, find me a parking space, please, right now, because I need to get into Target before it rains, right? Is my prayer life one where I have space just to sit, and to listen to God, that I might experience almost that gut feeling that Kirk talks of, right? Where the spirit moves in me, and I have a sense of, yes, that is the direction I'm supposed to be heading. Maybe the Lord is saying to us, we need to stop and listen more. Well, the second part of our story, we see that they are guided by their God-given faculties. And it's maybe not explicit, but let me explain. Look at verses 11 through 13. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, sorry, I've gone a little too far. We remained, yeah, one more verse. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. 
Now, first of all, notice they've made a particularly quick journey over the sea. I think the, the Holy Spirit wind is pushing them because he's directing them, right? Uh, and on the way back, if you read on in chapter 20, I think it, is, it takes them five days to get back, but only a couple of days to get there. And what we see is that they are heading out and they've come to this place called Philippi, this city. It's about eight miles inland. They've walked inland to this city and it's a, it's a large city and They have to figure out, how are we going to share the gospel? How are we going to find these people, in fact, who we've been called to go help in this dream? How are we going to find them? And they actually, I'm sure they're praying about it, but they use their minds. Listen to what Kent Hughes says. The missionary quartet, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, note Luke is with them now, went to the riverside on the Sabbath instead of a synagogue because there was no synagogue in Philippi. Typically, they would have gone to a synagogue. We see that every other time they go into a town, Paul takes them to a synagogue. That's where they go. But there was none in Philippi. Well, according to Jewish tradition, there had to be a quorum of at least 10 male heads of households before a synagogue could be formed. If these requirements could not be met, the faithful were to meet under the open sky near a river or sea. So Paul and company walked outside the city on the Sabbath, probably to the Gangites River, looking for some fellow Jews. They discovered a small group, all women, who met to recite the Shema and pray the Shemunath Esra and read the law and the prophets. And as Kent Hughes says, this was a divine appointment. I love the fact, first of all, that it's to women, right? They find women first. Notice that Paul, uh, he gets a vision from a man, but they end up going to women. I wonder if he actually made a mistake. It was actually a woman calling him. He was just perhaps a little prejudiced, still in his, you know, more Jewish mindset, thinking, well, it's got to be a man, not a woman. But actually the Lord leads them to a woman first, and she is the one who ends up helping begin this church in Philippi. But notice how their steps are guided. They have been guided by the Holy Spirit to this point, and then they use their minds and think, well, where would I meet a group of people who might be interested in hearing about the Lord? Well, maybe some Jewish worshippers. Now, there's no synagogue, so where do we head? We head down to the river to find if there are some worshipping there. And lo and behold, having used God's guidance, having actually um, used their minds, they find where the Lord wants them to be. Well, next we see what happens and how they obey. Oh, let me tell you a little bit about Lydia first. Um, They find this woman Lydia, don't they? Okay, and she is probably named after her native province. Actually, Thyatira's ancient name was Lydia. Okay, and she is actually a worshipper of God. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile who's converted to Judaism, and she has come under the influence of some Jews, okay? She's probably someone who's searching for the Lord and has found these people. And it's interesting that these are, it seems like, wealthy people and their servants. Do you notice what she's selling? Did you catch that? What is she selling? Purple goods. And what do we know about the color purple and so on? Yeah, royalty, right? Whenever we um, uh, do our pageants and so on at Christmas, the the kings often wear purple, right? Because that was an expensive color. It was an expensive dye. So she is someone who's making some pretty good money. She's probably a pretty wealthy businesswoman in Philippi, okay? She's a person who potentially has some influence, potentially a person who has the means to help support the apostles as they carry on as well. And we'll see that she invites them into their home, doesn't she? So it's interesting that the Lord leads them to Lydia. It doesn't seem that it's just anybody that he's leading them to. He's led them to a worshiper of God, someone with some means, and someone who is open to hear what the Lord has to say. Look at the next few verses. 
And notice how they are guided by God's word. They've been guided by God's spirit. They've been guided by their God-given faculties. And now they're guided by God's word. How do we know this? Again, it's not explicit. But verses 14 through 16. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We see that how we know they're following God's word is they're doing what God has commanded them to do. We see it in verse 10, right? When Paul had seen a vision, he concluded God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They knew that was their calling because of scripture. They knew the commission that God had given them. And then we see also that not only are they preaching the gospel, they're baptizing people as they come to faith. Again, God has told them there to do that. So they are following God's word. They're being guided by him. They're not just going there and saying, you know what, ladies, this is wonderful that you are down by the river. I'm really glad for that. Let me give you some encouraging thoughts on how to better yourself in life. Okay? Now, they come and they proclaim the gospel to them. They don't uh, tell them, you know, that actually they should just carry on living their lives the way they're living, but just perhaps add this one thing. They bring something that's going to revolutionarily change what they believe. They are being guided by God's word and they boldly proclaim the gospel. And look what happens. Look at the results. We see heart transformation. We see salvation in that place. And we don't see it right here, but we see the beginnings of a new church. Well, we know that a new church is formed. We see it here, but we know that it happens because we see a letter to the Philippians in this Bible that we have as well. A new church is formed. And there's a pattern that we're seeing here over and over again in Acts. People guided by God's spirit, guided by their God-given faculties, and guided by God's word, continue to go out into places that have not heard the gospel and bring the gospel to places with success. There is a successful response. And I think it's because they have a God-given destination, okay? Then they give gospel proclamation, there's heart transformation, and then there's disciple multiplication. It's a God-given destination. He has prepared these people. He has prepared this place for them. And so when they proclaim the gospel, there's heart transformation, and then there's disciple multiplication. Now, what about you? Let's go back to that first question. How do you go about making decisions, important decisions? Is this something where you would say, you know what, I need to stop and pray first? Is that something that you do when you come to making a decision? Are you seeking to be guided by God's spirit? Do you get up each day and say, Lord, take me where you would have me go today? Are you seeking to be guided by your God-given faculties, using your mind? Nothing wrong with that. And are you seeking to be guided by God's word? And in order to be guided by God's word, you have to read it. You have to know it. You have to be shaped with it. Someone came out of the last service and told me, I am trying to memorize Psalm 19 right now. And I thought, fantastic. If you memorize it, it's written on your heart. You're going to be shaped and guided by that. How much scripture have you memorized? How much do you know? How often do you read it? Do you get up each morning and you're hungry to spend time in God's word because you know that if you do, you will be guided and led by him. You will know where you're supposed to be going each day. If not, don't wonder or don't be surprised if you wander aimless through your day. Be guided by his word. And when it comes to evangelism, 
which is where this discernment is very much uh, pointing towards here, be guided by God's Spirit. Who is he preparing already for you to share the gospel with? You know, when we think of evangelism, I think we get scared because we think, well, how the heck do I know who I'm supposed to speak to, right? And if I do speak to them, then are they just going to flatly reject me right away? And it may happen, but... Think about this. I believe that God is preparing someone for you to share the gospel with right now. If you are a believer and you are called, I know you're called, to make disciples, then why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he be preparing someone for you to share the gospel with right now? There is someone in your life, I'm sure, that he longs for you to be praying for, that he longs for you to take that chance of finding that person of peace as we might call them, or we talk about it sometimes with those fat people. I don't remember overweight, okay? But people who are faithful, that God's working in them already, like a worshiper of God, like Lydia. They're available, okay? There's someone who actually has time to talk about who God is. And they're teachable. They're not too proud to say, you know what? They might say, I don't need God, okay? They might actually realize, yes, I need the Lord. Who are those people that he's leading to you? I believe he's preparing someone for you. It might be a work colleague. Someone at your school, perhaps. It might be someone in your place of business. It might be a next-door neighbor. It might be someone on your sports team. Uh, I don't know who it might be, but it might be someone that the Lord is preparing you for. Are you praying for that, asking the Spirit to guide you? Are you using your mind as you have conversations with them to say, you know what, they keep asking me about my faith or what I did on Sunday or my life group or whatever it might be. Use that opportunity to go, oh, I think they want to know more. And are you being guided and shaped by God's word? Well, as we come into land, I just want to ask you, perhaps there are three ways you could respond today. The first is this, is that actually the gospel that Paul proclaims of the Lord who came and died for our sins, that we might be set free from sin and that we might actually uh, live for all eternity um, and experience salvation I wonder if that's for you. Maybe you need to hear the gospel today. Maybe you recognize that, yes, I've never repented of my sin. I've never turned to Jesus. And the Lord would say, ask for forgiveness today. Stop trying to do this on your own. Stop trying to be so proud. Recognize your need for me because you're on a path of destruction if you don't. Secondly, he might say, receive from me. Maybe I need to receive the Spirit today because I am not being guided by the Spirit because the Spirit, in a sense, maybe has leaked out of me almost. I need to receive the Spirit to be filled again. Well, then thirdly, he might say that you need to reveal the gospel to someone. Who is the Lord calling you to reveal the gospel to? Each one of us, if we claim to know Jesus, is being called to go out and to reveal the gospel to others. And so ask the Lord to reveal to you who you are to reveal the gospel to. It could be you need to repent, to receive, or to reveal. One of those things. Friends, I would ask that you would be led by God this week, not by your own wants and desires, but led primarily by him as you're guided by his spirit, as you are guided by your God-given faculties, and as you are guided by his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to be your people. Help us to surrender everything we have to you. Lord, often our pride holds us back or our sin, whatever it might be, Lord Jesus, holds us back. But today we say, I surrender. Surrender everything I have to you. And Lord, I pray that you would come now and that for those who are choosing to repent of their sin and turn to you, that you would fill them with your spirit 
And this would be the first day of the rest of their lives following you. For those who need to receive, that again you would fill them with your spirit, fill them to overflowing, that they might be able to be led by you each and every day and be emboldened to share the gospel. And for those who are to reveal to someone, that you would reveal to them who it is that you want for them to share the good news of Jesus with this week. Who is that person, Lord God, in their lives? Who do you want them to be praying for in particular today? Come, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. We long for you to be the one who is in control in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.